Much of what we've been able to achieve through the Candid Frame has been a result of your kindness and support. You have been a regular listener, and you've helped to spread the word. And it was through your generous contributions that we were able to create the Candid Frame app and make it available to everyone for free. You can continue to support the work we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help to meet our costs of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. This is Ibadi and X, and this is The Candid Frame. Over the years, we have talked with photographers ranging from those just beginning their careers to others who have been professionals for decades. Each one has provided a unique perspective on how to lead a creative life. We have had countless photographers help us to redefine and reconsider not only what real success looks like, but how it can be achieved. John Keatley is a commercial photographer who has achieved both creative and financial success. In his previous appearance on the show, he revealed how it was dedication to his own personal vision that allowed him to overcome a myriad of challenges to making a living as a photographer. And it's that same clear vision that has allowed him to explore new aspects of his career, particularly his forays into the fine art world with his recent personal project, Uniform. John is a photographer who was not satisfied to measure his success only by bank balance. He welcomes opportunities to face his insecurities and fears to create work that challenges and inspires him. All right. Well, John, welcome back to The Candid Frame. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you. Thank you. I'm honored. I appreciate you having me back. I really enjoyed having time to sit down with you face to face last year when we were in uh, San Antonio. Is there San Antonio? Austin. Yeah. Uh, no, we were in San Antonio. San Antonio. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that tells you where my brain is today. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was a, a couple of things that you had, were working on at the time that finally saw fruition. I kind of wanted to start there, uh, and that is with your personal project, Uniform. Uh, there are a lot of facets of that but uh, that I'd like to discuss with you, but if you can let people know who may not be familiar with what that project was and how it started and and you know what was the inspiration for it? Well, I have been kind of exploring the theme of identity for a number of years, and that was that kind of came from kind of a personal journey on my own. But then, just I think being an artist naturally influenced the work that I was creating and what I was curious about. And I had done a, a few previous projects, and then we were uh, we took my wife and I took our kids to Disneyland, and there was a parade that came through. And part of the parade was they had Green Army soldiers uh, kind of marching through and they had a little green car. And, um, you know, obviously the the toys are quite iconic, but I think they've made a bit of a comeback with uh, the Toy Story movie in recent years. And so these these soldiers were marching through the parade and they were like super happy. And I don't remember if they were throwing candy or not, but, you know, there was just joy everywhere. And the kids were so excited. They didn't know what they were. They just thought they were cool characters. And it just struck me immediately. And I think because I had this idea of 
identity in my mind so much from this previous work, it just immediately struck me that it was odd that something like war could be so, um, you know, just carefree and joyous and really stripped of context. I thought it was just, it was very strange. And so I immediately knew the what I wanted to do. I, it, usually I wrestle with an idea and it develops over time. This was the first project ever where I just kind of knew exactly what I wanted to do. And, and so the idea behind it was um, basically I wanted to try to explore where is this line where on one hand, war can be quite polarizing as a topic and, and people will say things like, well, you can't speak on that. You, you didn't serve or, you know, th- there's lots of opinions and, and it's a, a very hot topic. But then on the other hand, you have people portraying elements of, of that story in a children's parade at an amusement park and there's no controversy at all. And so I wanted to kind of find like, where's that line where, you know, somehow the line gets crossed. And so uh, the idea was to basically portray this iconic toy like Green Army soldiers, but portray them with real people and kind of reintroduce um, humanity into this idea. Not necessarily trying to make a statement with it, but I was just curious. I'm kind of asking a question and also curious about how people will respond to it. And so I, f- I photographed, uh, I believe, 17 people, um, all very um, similar straight on towards camera, kind of shoulder up. They're all painted green. They look like the the toys, but it's, you know, the humanity of it is front and center. And so um, I guess a couple other thoughts along with that is that it's easy to, uh, it's easy to hide or minimize humanity. You know, for example, humans aren't green. And so you paint something green and it's, it's a small step, but it's, it's one step away from humanity. Then you shrink the toy down. It's like, you know, two, three inches tall. It resembles human form, but it's, it's, you know, very small. And then finally you remove facial features. It's kind of, if you look at the toys, they're just kind of rounded. And so it's kind of like this, you know, general human sense, but there's no, you know, person, you know, attached to, to these toys. And so I, I think that, when we do that, we're able to just kind of gloss over what it truly represents. And I think a lot of that, not to get too carried away, but I think we experience some of that in, in social media today where we're, we're talking to and about people, but we're not looking at them face to face. And so people feel comfortable saying and doing, you know, incredible things that I, that I think they would hopefully not necessarily say if they were looking at someone face to face. And so that was that was the the back story to this project and where it came from and and certainly it's kind of grown and expanded as I've gotten my hands dirty and uh, begun to create around that but that's the that's the the beginning of it for me at least it's interesting that you describe it as not you trying to make a statement but you more posing a question uh, and I think that's always a great play to start with really good art. But a lot of your work is often conceptual and starts with an idea. Do you sometimes think that you yourself are asking yourself or asking a question of your of the of the people who look at the photographs or yeah, why don't you I was gonna qualify that question, but I just talked to someone, just just ask the question. No, that that's a good question. I I think it's easiest to make a statement and Many times I have a statement and I think that would be a great picture. And I find more rarely do I make those images anymore because I find them to be, they're too easy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone, it's it's easy to make a statement or form an opinion. I think it's harder to listen. And I think, so I think for me, that's part of it is I'm, there's, there's 
many valid opinions or approaches to complex problems and issues. And I think it can be um, limiting to to make something a concrete statement oftentimes, at least with art, from one perspective. Now, that's not saying no one should be making statements and things like that. I mean, certainly, I, I don't believe in this whole like relative everyone's right kind of thing. I think there's there are absolutes that I believe in. But that's that's also maybe just reflective of where I'm at right now, where I grew up with a very, very concrete black and white approach to life. And not until, you know, last four or five years of my life have I begun to soften and kind of open myself up to the fact that <laughs> I have a lot to learn and uh, a lot of uh, ways to grow. And I think that's maybe partly reflected in my work. The other part of it, though, is that I am also a bit of a contrarian and I don't like to be, um, I, I have this deep-seated need to be unique or original. And this is like a, a huge fault of mine. It's also who I am. I mean, it's anything can be a fault and a, and a great asset, uh, you know. Um, but I think the a better explanation maybe of, of my conceptual work, and I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but a better explanation of my conceptual work is I often like to let people wrestle with an image or not finish the sentence, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it when people can kind of come up with their own uh, idea or or about an image or a series of, of work. Part of that is sincere and part of that is maybe my mischievous nature and that <laughs> I like to make people uncomfortable and I think it's human nature to want to define everything. People, When people see something and it's and they're not trying to be malicious or anything, but rarely can anyone look at something without saying, "Oh, that looks like so and so," or comparing it to something else. So that reminds me of so and so's work, or you know, oh, that that's from you know, I did a I did a picture of someone in in orange prison wear, and all people talked. And unfortunately, it came out around the time when Orange Is the New Black came out, but to everyone that saw it, it was just, oh, I love Orange is the New Black, you know? Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with that show, but people need to define and understand whatever it is that they're looking at. And so I really take great joy in creating something that feels a bit confusing or kind of forces people to come up with their own explanation. And then when they have that explanation, they either need me to validate for them or they just assume that it's right and they're happy to move on. But I, I really like that place where there's uncertainty and um, people maybe have to stay a little bit longer than if they just assume, oh, I know everything that's going on here. I'm on to the next one kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that you, was a bit of a long-winded answer. But. No, I like, I like long-winded answers. It always good for me. You, you had an exhibit of the work, and you know that's, that's showcasing the work in, in, the, in the fine art world where there's an expectation of the artist statement. Right. Right. So here, here you're saying, you know, you, you want to be able to have people sort of provide their own answers to the, the topic, not necessarily just, you know, make a broad statement of of how people should interpret the work. So did you struggle in terms of that facet of it? Because, you know, as, as I said, you know, the fine art world curators and all that really want to know what you are trying to say. Right. I mean, fine art is a newer uh, world for me. So the fine art statement, or that's yeah, that was incredibly difficult. I think what I explained about uniform previously, that's essentially my statement for that project. And I have no problem with that because there is a clear thought process 
an approach to that particular project. Uh, there's other work, uh, some of the work that I'm currently working on, uh, that, like some of my landscapes, that are much more vague and intentionally so. And those are and will be harder for me to to kind of find that statement because I understand that context is important. Um, but at the same time, I also value, you know, the, like David Lynch said, I don't remember the exact quote, but you know, he, he used at times refused to talk about some of his work. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that because I think that, you know, we don't need a behind the scenes. We don't of everything. We don't need to know how everything was made and we don't need to know what the creator intended about everything. Sometimes the intention is to cause a human emotion in a human being, you know? And, um, and I think that's a, a really beautiful thing to let people struggle with or wrestle with. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer on on how to do that for all of all of the work, but in general, it can be very difficult for me to write a statement simply because I know I could come up with a statement for anything I do. In, in you know, but is that an honest encapsulation of what the work is really about, or am I just writing something that has an explanation that will satisfy some people? You know, but it's not honest to the work. You know, that's that's kind of this thing that you have to that you have to balance. Um, I met. I met an art collector couple, a husband and wife, and she she would only buy a piece of art if she could go out to dinner with the artist and know everything about them and their process and, and what they were creating and why. He would not buy a piece of art, no matter how much he liked it, if he knew anything about it or the artist. And so if he, <laughs> wow. if he, was, if he was at all informed about something he's gone, he's done. And so I, I always like to kind of remember that example because again, you can't please everyone all the time. And I think the most important thing is to create work that's true to who you are. Um, and I believe this for fine art, for commercial work, advertising, all that, this, it's, a, it's something that I kind of preach about a lot. But I think you have to start with what, what you want to do and what do you want to say about the work and know that it's not going to connect with everyone and your approach or statement's not going to connect with everyone or be what everyone wants it to be, but you can satisfy yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. Can you describe a, a bit of what went into creating the images? Because the look is very distinctive in terms of the color. Uh, it really closely matches what I remember those little green army men looking like. But talk to me a little bit about that and what was one of the one of the prominent challenges that you faced in creating those photographs? Sure. Um, I mean, I think the biggest challenge was just getting over my own fear and you know um, insecurities of of creating and putting yourself out there and. Um, investing, you know, that kind of money into a project that was just purely for myself. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think research, um, researching kind of the period and figuring out how to put together the pieces in a way that would kind of create the aesthetic that I was looking for. You know, I didn't want it to be costumey at all. There's lots of people that I think have done this kind of thing for Halloween or whatnot, but I wanted this to have uh, a very graphic feel to it. I didn't want it to come across as campy or, you know, you know, overly humorous. I wanted it to kind of feel timeless. And so that was probably the the biggest challenge um, in terms of production was just figuring out what are these pieces? How do we get them to look this, this way and so forth? And then really, I mean, 
it was pretty straightforward after that. Um, I worked with um, our director, John Lavin, who we've worked together on several projects and he uh, painted all of the, all of the wardrobe and props. And um, then I worked with um, Jennifer Papachok, uh, who's a makeup artist that I work with quite often. And she, uh, she worked with John to make sure that their, the paint that she would be using on skin and hair and all that uh, would match up. So they had the same, same tones and things like that. And so once we had all that, then, then the, the shoot happened and, and um, there was a little bit that kind of came together on the shoot, even as much as I had everything planned out, I was shooting, thankfully, I think the first person and it was almost an accidental test shot. It was kind of one of those things where I was, I think just kind of getting an exposure or something like that. But I had the, I had the, the subject framed pretty low in the frame. And I, I typically, um, kind of tend to center my subjects in a portrait anyway. I don't, I don't really do the rule of thirds, but this was even lower than I normally do. But there was something just very beautiful and, and uh, graphic about it. But also I liked how it minimized the subject a little bit. It kind of, even though it was human, it, it kind of kept them lower in the frame, you know, representing this smallness of the toy and, and the way that the human figures are minimized in the, in the toy aspects. So that was something that came up and, and thankfully I ended up shooting the rest of it in that way. And I think after that, the final, the final, um, challenge was the eyes because some of the, some of the people have glasses on, but then some of the people they don't, and you see their eyes and you can't paint eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we explored a lot of different approaches with eyes and some of them were just downright creepy and um, <laughs> some of them were just really, really distracting and uh, nothing was working. And I got to the point where I almost gave up on the project. I almost thought like, well, it was a good idea. It just, it's not going to work out. Um, and then one day I woke up uh, like in the middle of the night and I just had this like, I don't know where it came from, but I just realized like this is a sculpture because I was, I was talking with my retoucher and we were trying to kind of explain like what I was going for and and that sort of thing. And I finally realized this is literally uh, a sculpture, you know, that that's the idea that I'm after. And so I started studying, you know, sculpture, sculptures and busts of, of people and, and looking at how, um, they handled eyes. And it was just a simple, a simple approach of just kind of remodeling the eye. And so basically, um, in post we had the eyes mapped out and then, um, applied a texture over them in a way that the, it was the first and only approach that actually looked human. It wasn't distracting. It wasn't creepy. It, it made sense. Um, and along the way too, we also had to figure out like you have to literally map the actual eye of the subject or even though it's painted green, you can tell if someone was looking a certain way and you moved their retina, even just like a millimeter, you can just tell it's off somehow, which sounds crazy, but, but it was, it, you have to get really, really technical there. So that was a huge uh, challenge after the fact as well. But all in all, to be honest, I wouldn't say it was necessarily the, the most challenging uh, project uh, to pull off, practically speaking, but there certainly were, you know, a few little things here and there, as I mentioned. You mentioned with respect to this project that you felt a certain degree of fear and anxiety about it. And as you just said, you've had shoots that are much more complicated, that likely have been much more demanding in terms of production. What was it about this particular project that gave rise to those feelings? 
Yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, I mean, there, I have a lot of self-doubt and I tend to overanalyze things. I'm, I'm a, a thinker I, and I can overthink. Uh, you know, when you're hired by a client to shoot something, you know that there's interest or a desire for something specific and you feel like you're creating something intentionally that somebody wants. When you are creating a project like this, you know, I, I have I have a million excuses or, or doubts, you know, pop into my head. Like, it's a lot of money. What if you're wasting your money? You know, like, how you know, what's this going to lead to kind of thing? You know, are you going to sell any prints? Are you even going to get a show? I didn't have a show or anything lined up. I had never done anything like this before. So again, it's, it sounds silly in hindsight, but it's, it's, you, you start to wonder, is this even a good idea? This isn't that great of an idea. It's, it's better in your head. I mean, it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a negative talk, self doubt. And I'm getting better and working on kind of stuffing that out and not letting that enter the equation. But you know, it's definitely something that I, that I struggle with. I think also when you're creating something personally like this, uh, I, there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of feeling vulnerable. You know, you're again, you're not creating something that someone else asked you to create. You're literally, it's like telling a joke. You don't know if anyone's going to laugh. It sounds funny in your head, and you think it's funny. You do your best. We've all been in those situations where you're having a great time, and you throw out this joke, and it doesn't land or it doesn't connect. And it's like, I think that's maybe the best way to explain it is there's a fear of, of falling on your face, you know, in front of everybody. And so that's, I think what, what I experienced on this and, and experienced on other personal projects as well. But the more I find that I do this, the more I put myself out there and the more I succeed and fail, the easier it gets to start doing more of this and realize that that's all, you know, just it's in your head and it's, it's only going to hold you back. There's no benefit to to living into any of that so yeah for a lot of your work most of the reactions that you get are probably via email when your clients get the photographs and they email you back but for this exhibit you had for this for this work you had an opportunity to exhibit the work and you had people in attendance at the opening to take a look at the images and you were there and you could see and hear how people were reacting to those photographs um how was that for you what was that like that was pretty incredible. That was, um, it, it kind of reminded me of, of our wedding almost in some ways because I was, um, there were just so many people there. I don't know how many people came through. I think I heard, you know, somewhere between five and 600 people came through in a couple hours and a lot of my friends were there and, and family and, um, it just meant a lot. I mean, to, to put that much into something, and to work that hard on something and to see people show up. And, um, you know, again, I, I, th- I think the work was received well, but just seeing people there and knowing that they cared uh, enough to, to support me in that way, it really meant a lot. And it also just kind of struck me as, as the night went on, you know, I, I certainly want to do more of this and I'm going to do everything I can to continue down this path. And I, and I realized, you know, this, a lot of my shows may be out of town. Like you don't necessarily show in your hometown all the time. Um, and so, you know, it may be a long time until I am at something like this with friends and family, you know, um, at least to that magnitude. So it was, it was something that I tried to soak in as much as possible. And it, it really was a very humbling and exciting experience to, to be there for that. Any reactions that surprised you? Hmm. I don't, I don't, it was such a whirlwind. I don't remember, but I don't, I don't think, uh, there were any reactions that surprised me that I could, that I could tell you about. Um, yeah, not off the top of my head. 
there, there is, on, on that note though, it's funny. I, I have to be careful. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I had one of these prints selected for a group show shortly after my solo exhibition. And, um, it was curated by someone very prominent in the art world. She, she came up to Seattle for the show for the opening night and gave a, uh, gave a, gave a talk about, I think about her work, but also about the show. And she went through and gave an explanation and kind of a reading of, of each of the pieces. And she got to mine, started talking about, you know, she said something like, clearly this is very statuary. It's about time and space. And, you know, I don't know why these poor people are painted this color, but I think it's probably like those rusted statues that, you know, rust over time. And, um, she, I just, she had all these very, you know, definitive, uh, things to say about the work. And I just had someone, I had a friend with me that kind of looked over me and gave me a, a look, but I just had to laugh because, you know, if, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, if we're talking about what I intended, she couldn't have been any further from the mark. <laughs> um, but she clearly had some idea, at least to her about what it was about. And so, you know, I, I always enjoy that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't, I try not to get offended by that. I, I think there's an element of maybe doing your homework to some extent, if I can be so blunt. But I think, um, again, that's art. Like it, people are going to have their own opinions about things. And so I, I really do try to leave space to let people react however, however they uh, feel moved to, to do so. When people are starting off in their career, and, they, and, and they've not established a name or a reputation or a sort of a pedigree, they're often more ready to take risks and to really to stretch themselves in, in unusual ways. And then once you get a certain degree of success, um, sometimes that success can sort of stifle that. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering whether this work and the work that you're doing now, especially your personal work, is a way of taking bigger chances and moving outside of that box that your success as a you know as a commercial photographer has provided you. Something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last year or so is trying to intentionally do things that scare me, and and not not I guess just purely for the sake of being scared, but looking at my work or my ideas or a project that I'm thinking about doing, and if it doesn't scare me or even terrify me. I really try to think about is this, am I not scared because this is kind of safe or this is repetitive? You know, am I really just doing a, a slight variation on something I've already done before? And yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think on one hand, you know, you can't reinvent the wheel, you know, uh, and you certainly probably can't do it multiple times, but, but I do think that um, I'm finding more and more the things that scare you are the things that are worth doing the, you know, are are the things that we should probably be running towards. Um, so I, I totally agree with you. I think that it's very easy to play it safe the more success that you achieve. And I think also some of that is you, 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 it's like, it's kind of like positive reinforcement, right? You do one thing and then people respond to it and you go, oh, I should do that again, you know, because it made people happy. But I think eventually if you go down that path, it's not going to make you happy. And so you have to find that, that line of, um, being true to yourself and, and challenging yourself. And, um, I, I think I, I, thinking about that analogy, I think back of, you know, especially when I was younger, 
bands that I used to listen to. And whenever someone would come out with an album that was like dramatically different, I, my reaction would always be so, I'd be so upset. You know, it's not mm-hmm. what I wanted to hear. But now that I'm more in the creator role, I, I can totally understand that. You know, people don't want to do the same thing over and over again. I mean, some people do, but I think if you really uh, have to be careful, what I, I think, you know, at least for me, as someone who is, uh, I'm, uh, someone who is very much driven again, like I said earlier to be different and to explore and, and to push myself repeating something is not something that I desire for myself as much as I find myself drawn to that quite frequently uh, because it's easy. And, and I do like to be comfortable. I was reading something this morning and it said something along the lines of you know, fear. People feel it. And the impulse is to turn around and run away. To get away from that feeling, mm-hmm. and but this person was saying, when you feel fear, it's an indicator of an action that you can take that you may need to take. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it's like it's a choice of how you choose to respond to it. So, for you, what helps you to make the choice to run towards it rather than run away from it? Um, I think you know, just taking those experiences. For me, one. One big thing was this last summer, and I think you and I were talking about this earlier. But I, a friend of mine, owns a company, and he's he's a part of this um, group of CEOs, and he I think pitched me to someone in the group. And um, there's several hundred people in this group, and they're um, all very successful, high-profiled CEOs that we all have you know read about in the news frequently and and buy things from their companies and stuff. And they asked me if I would come speak at. at this annual event that they have. And I agreed to do it. But as, as time went on very much again, like this uniform project, as I started probably overthinking it or analyzing it more than I maybe should have, I started asking myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, what do I, what, what does this photographer have to, to teach these, you know, CEOs running multi-million dollar companies? What could I possibly have to say that they would find interesting? It, Probably was at least on several levels the scariest thing that I've that I've ever done. Uh, obviously, maybe not necessarily in a physical sense, but just mentally, it was terrifying. I you know went over my talk a number of times, and my wife is an incredible editor, and thankfully she she um, made many many changes and forced me to kind of push myself again and not just do the same talk that I had been doing to, for photographers. She you know she really made me ask the question about like what is it that I'm trying to say and why am I saying it in the way that I'm saying it? And so I ended up giving a talk about the importance of being yourself and incorporating that into what you do. And I used obviously my example as a photographer and director and a lot of my stories came from that world, but I believe it's a, it's a story that anyone can, can benefit from. And it ended up being one of the most um, incredible weeks. Just the people that I met were all just uh, passionate about learning and growing and being vulnerable and sharing knowledge and information and failures. And I, I just, I found them to all be very like-minded people who, who, um, were, like I said, were just so generous. And it was one of the best experiences that I've, that I've ever had. In a lot of ways, it felt very much like the, like the uniform opening. It just, I, I felt grateful and proud of myself, if I'm being honest, of, of doing something that scared me so much. And there were a few other things that came from that that, I, that I've learned more about of fear and things like that. But that was one really big example that made me start thinking about here I have this very tangible 
experience that I was truly terrified of. And right now I'm feeling just pure joy and pride and also just the sense of growth from the things that I came away with that week. How, you know, how do I justify that? How do I justify this feeling that's telling me to run away from something that ends in this result? You know, there's, there's obviously, um, a disconnect here if, if I'm choosing to run away in those situations. And so that's, that's been the example for me that I've really been holding on to. And, and I think the more you become aware of that, again, it's kind of like, it's like buying a car and driving it home and you see that car everywhere, you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you've become aware of it. And I think fear is the same thing. At least for me, once I started thinking about it, I started recognizing it in more places in my life and trying to understand what else fear is keeping me from. And, you know, you certainly can't conquer it completely. It's human nature and probably something I'll struggle with the rest of my life. But I think it's certainly something that I can become better at. Welcome to the the human race, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) Well, teaching is is something that that you do and you, you know, you're offering a new uh, online online course. But I think that, that teaching is a, a wonderful opportunity not only to share what you do and how you do it with someone else, but for me, it always gives me such great insight into myself and my own mm-hmm. process. And I, I'd like to talk to you about, in, in working on this latest offering, what did you learn about yourself and your process as a, as a result of creating this? Well, I think going back uh, kind of a little further than, than the uniform story, uh, I've so I teach a workshop called Survival Guide, and I started teaching maybe four or five years ago. And the first course that I taught was mostly lighting and some marketing and things like that. I I majored in business in in college, and that's business has always been something that I've been passionate about, and and I think it comes somewhat naturally to me. And so um, we've been fortunate enough to have a, a successful business as well as um, you know photography career, and I think. There's lots of people that are successful photographers, but they don't end up having careers because they're not successful at business. And so through a series of events, we we realized no one's really talking about this stuff, at least in the way that we, my wife and I, when I say we, believe that people, you know, need to be talking about it. And, and so we created this workshop and it was um, basically the idea was to create a, a weekend experience where we share literally everything that we can possibly think of um, in terms of what helps us and things that other people might want to be thinking about, whether they have a existing business or they're thinking about starting a new one. These are the things that you should think about, you know, along the way. And so anyway, we, that's, that's what survival guide is. And I guess to answer your question, what are, one of the big things that I learned from that is um, a, 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 alongside business, a big theme that's emerged throughout this workshop is understanding who you are. And I touched on that previously a little bit, but I think it's so important to be who you are and create from that place. Because again, if you don't, you're just trying to please other people and you'll miss the mark every time. And so through, I do portfolio reviews and we have lots of group discussions and and the talks that I give, I'm constantly hammering home to people. You know, when they show me their portfolios, I can tell instantly what work they're creating for someone else and I can tell what work they're creating for themselves. And so often I'll do a portfolio review and I'll, I'll be brutally honest. I'll say, look, you know, you've got, you've got some serious work to, to do and some things to think about. And you also need to decide, are you going to go down this path or that path? And whichever path you go down, you really need to work on that because you've, you've got a lot to do. And usually at the end of the portfolio review, some people will kind of 
get a little nervous and they'll hem and haw and they'll be like, well, you know, actually, if you don't mind, I have this one thing I wanted to show you. It's really stupid. I, I don't even know why I brought it, but it's just this thing I did for myself or whatever. And just about every time, it's like the most incredible work I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's a personal project that they've done, again, just because. And they're incredibly self-conscious about it because it's, you know, they're exposing themselves like we talked about earlier. And, and so there was one workshop where I, I came back and it's, 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 it's an incredible weekend, but I'm always exhausted afterwards. And so uh, on the Monday I was in my office and just kind of sitting back and I was thinking about all these portfolio reviews where I was just hammering home. You need to figure out who you are and what you want to say. And I just all of a sudden asked myself that question. What do you want to be doing? I instantly knew that I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. And I had asked myself that question before, but this was the first time that I actually knew what I wanted to be doing. I just wasn't doing it. And that's when I started down this kind of path of exploring identity. And, and as I mentioned, there were a couple other projects before Uniform, but that was really the beginning of, um, of Uniform was asking myself, what is it that you're doing for yourself that you want to be doing and not trying to please others? And like you said, you know, teaching is, is so much about exploring and understanding yourself and you're, you're teaching other people, but nine times out of 10, I need to hear that content myself, you know, even twice a year to remind myself. And so, you know, I could go on and on on countless other uh, lessons and ideas and ways that I've benefited from, from teaching, but that's, that's a, a big one that has made a huge impact on me. Before we started recording, we were talking about slowing down, you know, turning off the phone, taking time for yourself. If you don't mind, I really would like to discuss that uh, here for, for, for the benefit of the audience. Because I think that, especially in this country, there's this whole idea that you have to constantly push, push, push. That you really can't take a break. Because if you take a break, uh, especially if you're already successful, you're going to lose it. Right. That it's going to slip through your fingers and all of a sudden you're going to be yesterday's news. So talk to me about, you know, making the choice to take those quiet times for yourself, to take care of yourself rather than, you know, hustling. Oh, man, how much time do we have? I mean, I think, um, I mean, in so many ways, uh, personal, career, I mean, relationships, I mean, on and on and on. There's nothing but benefit, I'm, I'm finding, to slowing down. I think it benefits um it benefits your work. It benefits, you know, you as a person. Um, I guess I should also preface slowing down and, and not, not just sitting around obviously, but like slowing down and being intentional with what you want out of life. And I think there's been times where I've found that inadvertently, whether it's like work slowing down or, and you know, I have no choice but to kind of figure out what to do with my time or, you know, with uniform, the, it was really slow and I was able to start printing and, had that not, and I was really frustrated at first because I wanted to be working, but had that, had I not had that time, I wouldn't have been ready for the show and I may have missed the opportunity, you know? Um, and so I think that was a, a small example. I, I had the opportunity to photograph, um, Shepard Ferry recently and I was talking to him about his process because he just, he had, he's created an incredible amount of work in recent years. And, he was just talking to me about he has a schedule and he goes, he, you know, he does, he creates and he kind of, uh, he tests and then he, he, he does all these different things every day and then he has his time for his kids and, and then he goes back to the studio and creates. And, um, I'm finding more and more like people who are creating and people who I respect, they don't get 
bogged down in, in the distractions or in being reactionary. You know, I, there's been a period of time where I was spending like 95% of my time being reactionary. And that was just answering an email because someone else wrote me, you know, um, putting together a treatment or, you know, an agreement for someone because they asked me for it. You know, Mm -hmm. those weren't things that necessarily I wanted to be doing. There was something that someone else asked me to do. And, and I, and I'm a people pleaser too. So it's hard to, to say no to people, but I think there's all kinds of things that go into it. Learning to say no, learning to have a clear idea of what it is that you want out of life. Um, you know, for me again, exercising, I've finally learned is something I immensely enjoy and it brings significant, you know, benefit to my life in, in many ways. And so I've learned that I just need to make time for that. And now I just want to make time for it uh, now that it's almost become a habit kind of thing. And so, you know, it's also things like I have kids and I don't want them just seeing me staring at my phone all the time. And, um, you know, you, as they get older, you start to realize how much they're paying attention. And, you know, if I don't like a certain behavior in their life, why in the world would I model that same behavior? And so, um, you know, I'm slowly getting a bigger picture of kind of where I'm at in life. And, and again, starting to think about not only what I want to create, but what do I want out of life? And I think it takes that same kind of intentionality. And so, you know, my wife and I, as we were talking about earlier, we've begun, you know, leaving our phones. We leave our phones in the kitchen at night. We don't keep them in the bedroom anymore. And that way we're not waking up first thing in the morning and checking our phones. And we're also, you know, spending the evening without our phones. And then the kids aren't seeing us with our phones constantly. And, um, you know, we'll go on a walk or go to the gym or go out to eat, especially for if we're going out to eat, we'll intentionally leave our phones home, you know. Um, and like I said, I'm kind of discovering that the world keeps keeps on going. Like I, I don't, you know, nothing crazy happens when you don't have your phone with you and that's okay. So that's kind of some of the stuff that I've been thinking about lately. And, and again, in the same way, going back to fear, some of those things, as silly as it sounds, are kind of scary, like leaving your phone. What if a client calls or what if so-and-so calls and I miss an opportunity or something? Those are things that you start to tell yourself. But again, after a while, you start to see the benefit and you have to think like, how in the world could I be afraid of something that feels so healthy, you know? And then it becomes a little easier to start making those, those kinds of choices. So have you found that valuing that time that you give to yourself and to your family has given you a perspective on the things that professionally you choose to do or not to do? And if so, could you give me one example? Yeah. I mean, I I, I'm still very much kind of in that process. There's been periods of in my career where I have said no to things that wasn't necessarily coming from a place of, you know, of, of slowing down like we're talking about. Um, but I think what it is doing is, again, it's making me very intentional about what I'm putting my time into because my time is limited, I guess, in some ways. And it's, it's always limited, obviously. But um, I think before I had this perception that I could and should be doing everything. And I think a lot of it just comes back to being focused and intentional and learning to say no. And, um, and when you do have time being, you know, laser focused on going after the things that you identify that you truly want to accomplish. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Um, I would say lately I've really been enjoying, um, Alex Prager's work and I know she has a, a new book coming out, 
But my wife and I were in New York uh, last year. Maybe it was even two years ago. Um, but we, we were able to see one of her exhibitions and um, it made a big impact on me. I've, I've always uh, appreciated her work, but I think that she's someone who continues to, to grow on me and in, um, in what she's doing. Well, I look forward to checking her out. I'm not too familiar with her. Yeah, definitely, definitely look into her, and I think you'll be glad you did. All right, John. Well, thank you so much for appearing again on the show. It's always, always a pleasure and a joy to talk with you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks to John for joining us again. You can find out more about John and his work by visiting KeatonyPhoto.com. And as well, don't miss his upcoming course on Creative Live, The Business of Commercial Photography, The Survival Guide, which begins on March 22nd. Find out more about the course by visiting CreativeLive.com. And you can show your support of The Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to listen to us for the very first time. And that makes all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do that today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us to not only meet the cost of production for the show, but allow us to improve our podcast youtube channel and website or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show you can do so via paypal you'll find links for both on the candid frame website or the show notes to access our complete archive of interviews download the free candid frame app available for apple ios and android not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other, martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at Ibarian X. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.